0: Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox, and we are taping this episode at a very exciting time for our country, which may or may not affect how this episode goes.
1: Hi, I'm Daniel Dresner, and I'm wearing a tie for the first time in six months because I was on Morning Joe this AM.
0: <sighs> Humble brag much, Dan. Jesus. <laughs> um, so we're going to try to get through this episode without talking too much about current events, because this is a podcast that is not about current events. It is about politics, but it's about politics In
1: space. In space! (laughs) At the moment, we're recapping The Expanse Season 5, but we're taking suggestions about what to take on next. We're thinking of doing a few one-off episodes after The Expanse wraps, so if you have a book or movie idea in particular, you can send us a tweet at SpaceTheNation or email us at SpaceTheNationMail at gmail.com.
0: Or you can comment on our Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash space the nation, which is also a place where you can give us money, although we planned on keeping the podcast free for all, but if you pay us a little bit of money, you'll get episodes early and, you know, get to participate in AMAs, and I don't know, we'll think of other stuff, they'll be fun for patrons. Um, but we should get started on this um, pretty intense episode, Yes, I think. Uh I'm going to go, yes. <laughs> Dan, yeah, it was intense. Dan, would you like to begin the I recap, I would be please?
1: delighted to begin the recap. And in some ways, this episode was structured interestingly because um, there were two sort of very short scenes in which we then don't see those uh, places again and then... Uh, It it sort of goes long, but we might as well start with Luna, or the moon, in which uh, Avasarala is very clearly shook up, is trying to figure out whether or not Arjun, I assume, is alive, and is then interrupted by who I can only describe as the system's most awkward politician, who is now the acting Secretary General. Uh, Used to be the Minister of Transport, comes in to, to talk to Avasarala, and is clearly both literally and figuratively off balance um, because of his his new role. And asks Avasarala uh, to be and serve in his cabinet because he recognizes that, among other things, she was the one who was in touch with Nancy Gao and and told Nancy Gao to retest the Watchtowers, and also the fact that she is clearly much better at this than he is. And when I say awkward, he also interrupts what um, I can only say might be, you know, Uh, Shora Agdashilou's best acting of the season. She's clearly been very Mm -hmm. shook by what's happened. And, you know, my favorite moment for her so far uh, has to be after the the acting secretary general leaves where she is trying to compose herself and what I can only describe as putting on her equivalent of armor.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you know, I've said before that I want to read things into her outfits. I think I can definitely read something into this outfit. Uh, maybe not the outfit, but yes she is putting on her armor. Um, also my heart breaks for her you know if people don't recall she and Arjun left on bad terms like he was very upset with the way she conducted herself in the race um, for the UN leadership role. and so it was you know framed in that way it was like her profession versus her relationship and that just carries forward now, right I mean like the weight of the loss of her husband, but also, if she had won, like she might have actually been able to save yeah. everybody. I,
1: what got so, me was literally, and I was I was actually awestruck by by what she did in this moment. Was this this truly conflicting set of emotions as she realizes, on the one hand, you know, she's still very shook up, as you say, by by possibly Arjun's you know death or what's happening on Earth. But was I wrong, or did is it also clear that there is a tiny bit of excitement? in how she responds. She she recognizes she's back in the game is the way I would put it.
0: Yeah, I I think there is that tension and that tension is a replay of what the tension was yep. with Arjun, right? Like she wants to be a leader if she is called to that in a very deep way and it's to the detriment of her personal relationships. It just is. Like I don't I don't think that she can get that back. I also want to say about the uh, Secretary of Transport. It's another tiny role that is played fully. Yeah. I, I loved that guy. I thought he was completely believable. I thought the situation was believable. I love that he didn't like just mm-hmm. give it to her, right? Which is like something that I thought might happen. I thought he might just be right. like, why don't you run things? It's more human to not yeah. give the job away. I, right? But to still I, be no, I I, ag- it. I
1: agree with you. It was vi- <laughs> as you say, he's on screen for what, maybe three four or five minutes. And you learn a lot about him. Like, you know, it, 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 you think, oh my God, he's an idiot when you first see him. And like, he really does have the most awkward conversation with Avasarala, you know, literally asking her things and then realizing, oh my God, you know, of course, you know, her husband potentially is, is a problem. And then at the end, it becomes very clear Okay, he might not be the world's best politician, but he's also not an idiot. He's entirely aware that he is out of his depth. And, you know, if if there's one useful trait in leadership sometimes, it's knowing what you don't know. And and so props to him yep. for recognizing that he was going to need Officer Rollin.
0: Shall we move on to we a We
1: should. Uh, and we, again, go from the very quick uh, scene on Luna to a very quick scene on board the Rossi. Uh, it appears that... Uh, Tycho Station, the techs there, have managed to debug the reactor, uh, so they're firing up again. The same crew that was originally going to be on uh, the Rossi from Tycho, including Bull, is set out to uh, find the Zemea. Except now they have an additional passenger, who is Monica. Uh, The reporter uh, basically says, no, no, I'm, I'm coming on this, and engages in... What I can only describe as a big swinging dick contest with Bull about whether or not they actually are, appro- you know, whether whether she belongs on there. And I've got questions for you about that. Um, but just quickly, the one last plot point is that, you know, as Monica's being showed her quarters, Holden goes into his and discovers that there is a message from Naomi, which I believe we actually saw Naomi compose. Before she was taken captive in a sort of, if something bad happens to me. But although we don't see the message. But more importantly, Anna, I am, you know, you have been, you've been talking in previous episodes about, you know, Monica's a reporter. Did you like her badassery in this particular sequence?
0: I admit it is more than I would do to get a story. <laughs> 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 um, I thought it was pretty, pretty great. Uh, she does point out that the big swinging dick contest, she points out like she was there for the first, you know, um, entry into the ring gates. Like, yes, what which have I, I have to say, Bull, it was like, you know, OK,
1: yeah, you know what? Yeah. I think that's that's a trump card you get to throw out on that in that particular moment. Yeah,
0: that's right. The other thought I had was so this is mm-hmm. a military mission that they're going on. And I know that news organizations generally have to pay full freight to send people to be embedded in either a military context or on a campaign or, you know, mm-hmm. with a politician. And it costs an exorbitant <laughs> amount of money. Like, it's thousands and thousands of dollars to simply, like, cover the right. president for one day. And that made me wonder, where, who's paying Monica? <laughs> like, it's never... I don't know... Is it a guardian situation? Like it's publicly funded? Like is it you know like Patreon? <laughs> is she, she have a Patreon?
1: Shelter Patreon is is you know is on this. Although no, she's she's clearly an inner. So you know. uh, I you know maybe it's 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 maybe CNN is morphed into SNN Solar System News Network. I don't you know I don't know.
0: I I, I don't think they ever address uh. it in the books either, and I don't know why. I only thought of it now, but like journalism has a harder time paying for itself throughout the centuries like literally like journalism has never really gotten a great profit model together right like it's always and it's clear by the way the
1: best it's you also can clear do... she's got bank because if memory serves it wasn't the deal when she was on the rossi before that it was her company or it was her media outlet that was sort of funding the rossi going to the ring gates in the first place correct
0: Right. So someone behind yep. her has a lot of money. It's, I'm just curious like what the media, you know, universe looks in the expanse <laughs> like. I don't know. We may find out it's a little corner of that universe that seems like one they haven't completely sketched out. They've sketched out a lot of the yeah. Corners. Right. More than other shows. You get a little bit of like texture about like how you would take care of various things.
1: You know what I wonder You know what I wonder this if one... they'll do? I mean, we talked about it in last season when the with uh, with the arc involving the election on Earth and we saw some of the extra components on on Prime were the Nancy Gao commercials and the Christian Avicerala commercials. Maybe one of the things they could do this time would actually be to like show a news report of, you know, from Monica. Like how would what would her conventional news report look like, which would be kind of interesting to tell you the truth.
0: Yeah, uh, maybe like let's I let's think tweet it. You know Dan. what?
1: I'm going to talk to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're going to we're going to get to the bottom of this, patrons. We're going to tweet them, the exactly. We're going to get the
0: bottom of this. We're we going to make some so suggestions that they might. <laughs> All right. Next, next stop. up
1: is the Razorback, which, if you recall from uh, the end of last episode, was uh, fleeing an MRCN destroyer now occupied by Belters there is a spectacular action sequence where uh, a belter crew tries to board the Razorback and Bobby shows uh, this belter crew how Martian tech is supposed to be used, killing multiple uh, belters. And during the firefight, Alex plants a bomb on the drive of the destroyer, which allows the Razorback to escape, and they get to blow up the Belter ship. This suggests two things to me that I think are worth noting uh, for the future. The first is is that it might be a Belter crew, but it's not obvious they actually know how to use this stuff terribly well. Um, and I do kind of wonder what that means for future combat. And it also means Avasarala is probably about to get some really juicy intel.
0: Yeah, I had the, a similar kind of question in my head, which is, between this and Marco uh, flying around in Free Navy ships, they're not hiding their connection to the Martians anymore, which well, seems this,
1: Well, I don't know. Bad. The, so I agree with you on the Free <laughs> Navy, but this ship, remember, I mean, I assume this ship was one that they had spotted in the surreptitious transfer between, uh, yeah.
0: Right, but in ge- but in general, right. like with Marco, like I guess I just thought of like, it, it seems like they're not doing a really good job of keeping under wraps the fact that they're being aided by someone I kind
1: of guess that's working. true but I mean in some ways Military. you know you can think of this as a pre-marco announcement and post-marco announcement kind of world when marco made that announcement yeah you know in some ways if you're marco you want those ships publicly visible indeed as we're going to talk about a little bit later you know you you want right. to you want shows of strength right. moving on okay moving on we now move to what we would describe as what is left of earth Apparently the prison uh, where Clarissa was was relatively close enough to walk to Baltimore, but (laughs) I I didn't know that was the case. I have to say I assumed it was on a different continent, but whatever. Uh, They decide uh, they will walk to Baltimore and they are in a conservatory which apparently, you know, was a place where they reforested with lots of trees. While they are there, they encounter first one dead guy uh, and then one live guy, and it is very clear Amos does not want to deal with them. Indeed, the live guy who seems sort of friendly, although we can talk about this, uh, Nonetheless, uh, Amos is extremely wary. Instead, Amos decides that uh, the best approach is to go to a survivalist's house to get supplies. A survivalist, uh, even though they've been warned by the live guy, essentially, that he's been shooting people. And indeed, Amos goes and and tries to propose a trade. Uh, The survivalist makes him strip. We will talk about that later. And uh, it seems about to kill him when suddenly Clarissa is able to activate her mod and literally eviscerates the survivalist. As a result, they now have all of the resources that survivalists did. They're in a nice, cozy place, and, and, you know, Amos seems pretty pleased with himself until Clarissa brings up the awkward fact that this was highly unethical Um, and that clearly what Amos was hoping was, in fact, to kill the survivalist, and that even though as uh, Clarissa puts it, the survivalist was a dick, this was not the right move to do, and the episode ends in this case with with Amos sort of having an epiphany that he needs Holden in his life, that he realizes he's beginning to lose his uh, moral compass on this one I, in terms of this sort of sequence, I really liked in particular the uh, the exchange that uh, Clarissa and, and Amos have when they're sort of talking about uh, their backgrounds and about what they, you know, what they need to do to go forward and they're sharing what is, I can only assume is a future kind bar and it was sort of a nice example of how they're a dyad now they're, they're a unit, um, they're a team and you know, also I'm going to just say Amos keeps asking Clarissa if she's okay enough so that Clarissa keeps noting that Amos keeps asking that and I think Amos is really asking that because he's asking that about himself but the thing that I am most struck by by this whole sequence is that Earth still has survivalists?
0: <laughs> i think survivalists are probably a enduring feature of humanity like there's always going to be people who are paranoid and people who are conspiracy theorists and like we've talked about how the the expanse kind of backhandedly deals with conspiracy theories by like saying no we figure it out <laughs> fake media <Yeah. laughs> don't worry about it um but i think I think they're always going to be there. Um, I liked that he basically could have been transplanted from today. Like, the, just the yes. whole setup and the way he acted could have just was sincerely, like... But I think that's true of, like, survivalism in general, right? They probably, like, basically... Right, no, with a little
1: tweaking, like that. that was Ted Kaczynski. Um, um, you know, yes.
0: <laughs> I I did appreciate that he didn't really have a son because part of me was yes. feeling... Oh no! Is Amos going to kill? No,
1: it child? was. I, I have to admit right? that was one of the, again that was one of the, like those small little touches where I was like, "Oh damn! Okay, that was fake. That was interesting."
0: And I believe that I believe they rescued Amos from having to make a decision about whether or not he was going to kill a young person, if mm. not a child, um, and someone who wasn't didn't like have a no. Bead and and on by him, the way, basically. Oh, go ahead. Um. Oh, I, I, yes. This whole sequence is really interesting. We'll t- we we have insights uh, for our our later discussion about themes um i will say now yes dan i did appreciate <laughs> west chatham getting down to his gibbies. um i would like more excuses for him to do that later um i don't think it detracts from the show i think it looks see it, they worked it was it in a, very it, gracefully it, it was total totally organic on, I, I agree yes. it did it wasn't excessive yes. in any way so i like that and and as for other details of that scene, like let's save it for our, Fair our later discussion on themes. Okay,
1: I guess we move now to uh, the free navy and the belt on the Pella. There is tension on board the Pella. Marco uh, is pissed off uh, because it turns out the Rossi is is still around, in no small part due to uh, Naomi's sabotage. Uh, Marco wants to space Naomi. This causes, for the first time, some conflict aboard the crew of the Pella. Sin, it is safe to say, is pissed. He lashes out. They actually have an argument. Not just they have an argument. They have an argument in front of Philip and in front of the entire crew, which anyone who knows anything about militaries knows is kind of a no-no on this. And uh, Philip resists as well. He does not want to space Naomi, uh, which causes Marco to back down. And I would just note here that it was interesting to me that this starts off by Marco calling the Rossi, even if it's sarcastic, a grand symbol of interbelter unity, meaning that he recognizes the power of symbols and he recognizes what the Rossi is.
0: I thought this was fascinating um it does underscore how just because you have a bunch of military stuff that doesn't Mm -hmm. make you a military that there is a transition between being a radical faction um you know freedom fighters as it were to trying to conduct yourselves as a fighting force with a command structure right and it's not in belter culture to have a (laughs) command structure really yes you know like they their society is organized very much along the lines of consensus you know when they talk a member drummer corrects him and says his this family exactly yes is his no family. and that
1: ties into some things we'll discuss right? a little bit later i agree uh the other thing i me giving a lot of c- clues yes, about what we're going to be I, discussing I, I, later.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I also want to say right now i hate marco so much he's so charismatic and everything but like sometimes like his expressions i just <laughs> wanted to slap him like he just such a he's such an <laughs> asshole. Like when he says to Philip, like when he asks Philip about spacing Naomi, I'm like, you <laughs> "Dick. Like, you what are you what are you doing?" Like he's uh like I mean, it's a great actor clearly that I feel so No, such I, I, I
1: agree him. with you. Keon Alexander has really impressed me. And also, by the way, like the 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 voice is tremendous because like if you hear him in like any of the the after episode conversations, he's got a, a North American accent basically. And yeah, it's it's you know, it, it's fascinating to me how well he, he plays a homicidal charismatic leader. The other thing I would add, by the way, is that you know, in some ways you can argue this might be an inflection point because this is really the very first moment we're seeing Marco encounter difficulty. Every time we've seen Marco up till now, it's clear he's the one who has the, is the architect of the grand plan. You know, again, it's it's sort of an inflection point because it's really the first time that Marco encounters something not going according to plan. And you know, this is sort of a, a classic trope in terms of any kind of, of fiction. But it, it's it's nice to see that really, you know, he's not superhuman. He's not uh, the Mary Sue, as it were. He's not you know someone who who knows everything. And indeed, I suspect we are going to see more flaws of Marco as 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 a leader as we go forward. Speaking of leaders, we now move to uh, the drummer faction. Uh, They have set up their rendezvous with Marco. It is safe to say that Kamina's crew slash family is a bit worried about how she's going to deal with Marco. Kamina learns in the meeting that Marco has far more firepower than she expected. That she has all of that he has all of these Martian ships, uh, and also clearly has Black Sky and Golden Bow factions. In which, uh, as one of uh, her friends puts it, you know, will mean that half the OPA will potentially rally uh, to the Free Navy. Marco, again being a dick, asks Drummer to join, but does so from one story up in the in the sequence and her faction debates it. Uh and her faction basically decides they have no choice. That they are better off with Marco even if he's a homicidal maniac than without him.
0: Oh, I would say I my read on that is he will mm-hmm. kill them if they don't join. Like this is a false choice. He's like yes. he he says and it's almost transparent almost where he's like, "Oh, and she's like, "What if we don't join?" He's like, "Oh, well then you go on right. your merry way."
1: <laughs> I mean, no, and also no. there's the, the, he, he uh, kill one of Marco's crew. It's interesting. Marco says that, but like literally in Drummer's first interaction with the Marco's uh, faction, the woman whose uh, character's name escapes me, basically makes it clear, yeah, we will fire on your ass if you leave without joining. So they decide they have no choice. Uh, as a result, they exchange crew members uh, as literally what Marco describes as tribute. Marco introduces uh, Philip to Kamina, and they chat because, among other things, Marco says uh, that Kamina knows Naomi pretty well and that they had served on the Behemoth. The Behemoth, And Philip uh, sort of accidentally lets slip that Naomi is on board the Pella, not in so many words. At which point, Philip uh, goes to visit Naomi and they start to talk to Marco's incredible irritation uh, because he can observe all this uh, from his command center. The thing that... that I thought was was particularly interesting, and again, this harkens back to what we've talked about in in previous uh, podcasts. Is that Marco clearly thinks he's already won? He thinks the game is over, and Drummer is quite aware that there will be more rounds of this game to be played.
0: Yeah, I I I think it's important the whole the fact that they don't have a choice that he will kill them if they don't join. I think is important to, to see because. There's so much going mm-hmm. on inside Drummer, right? Like she's trying to balance out the concerns of her crew slash family. She also has, I I, I think she might try to de- deny the connection she has to Inner Belter mm-hmm. piece. But I think Fred Johnson had a huge yes. effect on oh, her. Oh, I mean, I, right? Like he was her mentor. He was yeah. he was her family. And I think her emotional connection to having a peaceful, you know, coexistence is pretty yeah, strong. Yeah, I, th-
1: I think it's safe to and say. Also, it's not just Fred Johnson. I think Ashford had an effect on her as well. Clearly, Ashford, who you know was the Ghost Knife, nonetheless, you know, throughout the entire time he's on this series, makes it very clear the only path we have forward is to cooperate with the Belters. And and, and indeed, there is a remarkable exchange between Marco and and Drummer in which they basically are sort of talking about what is the best way for for Belter society to survive going forward. As you put it, Marco is just the best goddamn villain. He really is, precisely because he has such a pretty face.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I believe we are skirting around the edges of some international relations theory discussion here. Like that there is IR in this episode. Dan, what will you tell me? Is there IR in this
1: episode? Ana, there most definitely is some IR in this episode. Um, And, you know, it's both security and, uh, you know, what we would, I guess, call inter-system political economy. But in terms of security, I, I think the contrast that I found most noteworthy was between What happens uh, with Amos and Clarissa on what is left of Earth versus uh, the drummer faction in in response to threat, which is on Earth, Amos and Clarissa make it very clear or Amos makes it very clear that he thinks Earth as we know it is breaking down, that, that he is now operating in a realm of anarchy. And when he's operating in a realm of anarchy, his level of trust is non-existent. And so he simply refuses to cooperate with anyone. Um, outside of, of Clarissa and indeed um, you know in, it, it actually engages in what we would I guess describe as balancing behavior because his first move is to go against the strongest actor in the conservatory who is the survivalist whereas on the other hand when we talk about uh, the belt the drummer faction I think it's safe to say I mean there are some people who are literally horrified by what Marcos has done but mo- you know most of them are are have some sympathy but but there is a great sequence where basically one of drummer's crew, basically says, this isn't a choice. Marco says we have a choice, but we don't really have a choice. And this is the one time that that scholar, you know, international relations theory tends to predict that bandwagoning occurs, which is if you are such a small actor um, that you really have no choice because you're just proximate to a much larger actor, you in the end have to bandwagon because it's either bandwagoning or non-existence. And it is, you know, clear that that's how Drummer's Faction goes
0: only thing I, I am very curious about from a IR political science perspective, um, not the only thing, but the thing that jumped to my mind when I was watching this is when Marco says, oh, right, food. <laughs> <laughs> like, we got it. We're good. It's covered. Yeah, hand wave. We got, we got it. We got it. It's okay. Um, because... I had not thought about it, although it, it is mentioned in the books. I should have remembered this, that when you destroy Earth, you destroy the breadbasket yes. of the universe as the known universe. And to me also, this is now actually so obvious. I feel like Belter should have said something about this earlier because that's the yep. other huge cost and the other asshole move. Right. Not only is he mass murderer, but he seems to have just completely gone to this level of of, of genocide at a severe cost to his own people. Yeah, you know, and, and, and irresponsible. Again, this could. Be- <laughs> <laughs> and he says there'll be there'll be thin years. <laughs> there will be thin, years, thin at years at
1: first. Yes. Um. Yeah. That was. I. I. I also sort of <laughs> said, "Oh, really? Yeah. Way to go, Lenin. That sounds like you know. I mean." It-
0: and that's the political science. And that's the political science part that I'm curious about. It's like, if you're going to be a revolutionary, if you're going to be an insurrectionist. And you get to the power, you get to power, and then you're like, oh yeah, by the way, (laughs) I don't have any resources for (laughs) y'all.
1: Leave it this way. His resource is ideological zeal. And to be fair, at least throughout the arc of this season, that seems to be enough. Because as you point out, you know, until this episode, you would think that other belters would be like, oh, you know what, we kind of need. Biologics and and soil from Earth, even if they're dicks. I mean, like it's if it's the only source, that seems super important. Um, but again, one of the sort of subtle themes throughout this entire season has been the notion that what Belters care more about than uh, material wants is sustaining some kind of of common identity. I mean, it explains why Sakai you know spits in Holden's face when Holden points out that she had a good job. It explains what what Marco does. Now, to some extent, maybe this is the, the the showrunner sort of stacking the deck to some extent. But I would like to see it would. There's there's part of me that like I want to put a poll in the field on belters. I want to know how they feel about the fact that there will be thin years at first. Um, because admittedly,
0: yeah, I, I was going to say I think it is the yeah. radical belters that feel you know class solidarity above all else. I think that also bel- belters have been shown to be a very practical. Right, and sort remember of we. Yeah. you know like and, and also very exactly. very aware of resources that is the thing that defines their society right? So, is like, access to the statement to there will
1: be thin years at first covers a shit ton of sins it seems to me <laughs> you know I mean that is <laughs> that is not a minor <laughs> thing to say that's like that's you know that's like that's like George C. Scott and Dr. Strangelove saying you know we'll lose 10 20 million tops it won't be that big of a deal you know I'm not saying we won't get our hair must or anything
0: it's an underpants yes. <laughs> level thing like <laughs> you know
1: (laughs) i I hope the underpants gnome being like survives into the expanse era Yes,
0: like destroy earth is one and then three is like have fabulous belter society and then two is ah.
1: exactly and so this in some ways was (laughs) the the sort of inter-system political economy point which is even if in terms of security There's anarchy right now. No one trusts anyone. You know, there usually tends to be more cooperation in the economic sphere because often, you know, the exchange of goods and services tends to be win-win. And so, um, you know, Marco, by his actions, has obviously devastated Earth, but he's impoverished the belt as well, at least in the short term. And so I, I, I guess an interesting question is to what extent does Marco's ideological zeal and the fact that he seems to be winning cause people like drummer to bandwagon as opposed to fomenting insurrection. I guess that's right. You...
0: And what happens yes. with people like sin? Yes, exactly. Right? Like who seems who's who's bristling both at at the arrogance? And I bet like there's other people who are in the free navy who are like, you know that food thing, hmm. Like maybe like we should Think about what we're going to do about that. You know, like that seems like a more primary concern than other things. So now we're going to have a very graceful segue into the themes and quotes portion of our entertainment for the night, which I've decided I want to call the gravity well section because we go deep. Oh. Dan, what is the first theme the you theme want to talk about? I
1: want about? to talk about is a pretty simple one. What does family mean? My son has a kind heart. Your people, you don't even think of our family as your own anymore. You haven't felt the price of it yet, but someday you will. There are ways that you can live a good life
0: without being a good person. Schrodinger's parent. Who? A parent you never hear from exists in a quantum state both dead and alive until you check up on them in the act of observing makes one
1: of the two states true
0: a loss a loss is still fresh
1: so this is really interesting to me you know across both earth and the belt we are seeing very different definitions of family um you know and and this goes to this question of, uh, you know, is your family who you work with? Is your family who you you choose? Is your family who is your blood, your genetics? And, you know, we're seeing this in terms of Amos and Clarissa. We're seeing this in terms of Marco and his very broken family. And I, I particularly liked, I have to say, uh, you know, Clarissa's comment about Schrodinger's parent. That felt like the most 20th century aspect of, of this particular episode.
0: I did have a moment of like, I wonder... When- it's still a, still a reference, <laughs> still a current reference. <laughs> As I have been saying for a few episodes now, I think there's a nature nurture exploration happening in this season. Well, it's actually it's been throughout the expanse. Is what do we take from our parents, our family of origin, and what do we um, create when we have a family of choice? Right. That is the most dramatically illustrated in the family of of yeah. choice. That is the Rossi. You know like that is a family that has come together through kind of happenstance but now is it's actually like a model family right. really it's like one of the most you know non-dysfunctional <laughs> <laughs> units of people i've ever seen the only time it was dysfunctional is when holden and naomi didn't admit that they wanted to bone <laughs> each other so <laughs> once that got settled pretty easily yeah they seem to everything no and again really it's te- I think well. it's telling yeah.
1: that, that the episode ends with Amos for lack of, a way of putting it Amos recognizing that the way he has navigated his life since leaving Baltimore has been what I can only describe as the most rational approach that a possible sociopath might pursue which is he knows that he has the potential to be a, to be that guy and while I think he's willing to be that guy at times he doesn't generally want to do that and he only wants to be that guy for the purposes of the greater good and so he latches on to naomi and then he latches on to holden he realizes that you know when he's the one in charge he's not always necessarily going to make the right choices
0: that gives us a smooth segue (laughs) into the things i wanted to talk about which is basically malignant narcissists and sociopaths
1: after what she nearly we did to me. see her, her again. I I you will do amazing. what I tell you to. Do it yourself. He made me a fighter. He loves he me. He loves himself. But you don't know anything about him. I know he wouldn't die for you. but he would let you die for him. No throne.
0: This is a war. Bro. For a war you started. For a war I won. I have killed, but I'm not a killer. Because a killer is a monster, and monsters aren't afraid. We went out of our way to murder someone and take his stuff just because we needed it. It's not the kind of thing good people do. Not even bad people trying to live like good ones. Yeah. Holden
1: never would have proven to move like that.
0: So there are actually a couple things from your section that I could put in my section, I feel like. There is the whole idea you can have a good life mm-hmm. without being a good person, which is Amos kind of copping to his lack of a of a native right. moral compass, right? And there also is this idea you haven't felt the price of it yet, but someday you will. Naomi is putting forward, I think, with fairly good evidence that Philip is not a sociopath, that (laughs) he will at some point feel the moral burden of having participated in genocide. I mean, I think she's hoping (laughs) that that is going to be the case, right? Um, Marco does not. He does not. He is a sociopath, right? And so I don't think we're intended to directly compare Marco and Amos, but I think they're useful kind of – to look at and, and how you might handle being a <laughs> sociopath. I don't know, like the, the choices that people can make. Because the other theme that flows right in with nature and nurture is how much choices right. do people have, right? I think the expanse argues that people have a lot of choice. I think that that is ultimately the side that the. Oh, show I think comes it has, yeah. On. And that yeah, is, it has
1: to, and I think it, yeah. it, it also ties into some. Basically, something that had been nagging at me throughout the last couple of episodes ever since Philip kidnapped Naomi, which is that, again, you know, Naomi's in an odd position with regard to Philip. I mean, obviously, biologically, her, you know, his mother, but like his her efforts to connect with him have it is safe to say not gone great. And I think what I found fascinating in this episode was the way that she actually connected with him was unintentional, which is she connects with him by showing the fact and revealing the fact that by her definition her family is the Rossi. It's not necessarily Marco and Philip. And the joy that she expresses by knowing that the Rossi is, you know, not blown up. And and the satisfaction about serving on the Behemoth with with Kamina. I think that shows Philip a side of Naomi that that he hasn't seen before. And it's weirdly I think something that that he's obviously drawn to to some extent and it's the exact opposite as you point out of the way that Marco, you know, runs his family and runs his crew. The line where I wanted to punch Marco the most and there were many lines like that in this episode, but it was him saying, you know, about Philip he has a kind heart. The way he said that sentence was just devastating.
0: I agree and I also think that when he says, you know, Marco yeah. made me a fighter, and her objection to that, and how Marco would not do, right. would not die for him, you, you're right. Like in a weird way, like what she does when she exhibits um, her warmth for her Rossi family is show Philip that exactly. is what family can yes. be. Yes, you know that is what you could have if you were part of a functional family. What you have is a sociopath as a father. And yes, he maybe made you a fighter, but that's, like, what is that? You know? Um, I also think that we should bring in Clarissa Mm. here as an example of people who make choices. Mm. The poem that that Clarissa cites about how um, she has killed, but she's just not a killer um, because killers are monsters, and monsters are not afraid, and, you know, she's afraid. I think that that gives us... I mean, we don't really need... This insight's already been clear that Clarissa was never cut out to be right. a killer, right? Like, <laughs> she's yeah. not like Amos, really. Like, I think Amos... Amos
1: thinks that, maybe?
0: ...feels drawn to her. I wonder if he feels drawn to her because he realizes that she has made choices. Well, it might... It, you know, and and has I would Maybe it's
1: slightly different. I think that might be it. I think another way of thinking about it is that Amos sees Clarissa as someone capable of doing the things that Amos can do. But it is also clear that Clarissa has... conscience
0: right Right, and she's made choices not to do that like she participated in violence and she committed violence out of a you know um like conscious desire to commit violence right and she says in the episode actually I, i didn't put this in my quotes but now i'm remembering she says in the episodes it felt good when i was doing those things Like she talks about how she committed these crimes and it felt good while she was doing it.
1: Right. And she she also says, I didn't think through, yeah, I didn't think through, I didn't think it all the way through. She also acknowledges that. Um, And so this is also, in some ways, also about regret.
0: And I will point out, I think that that poem resonates with Amos pretty strongly because in a previous episode, he said, The last time I was afraid was when I was five years old. Mm -hmm. Literally has that line. So if monsters are not afraid,
1: Mm, yeah,
0: and that, of course, was right on the heels of him realizing he needs to get back to home. And as
1: I said, again, I I give props to the the Expanse writers on this because they clearly set this up so that you're not supposed to feel too bad about the fact that they killed the survivalist because the survivalist was an asshole. The survivalist Mm -hmm. was clearly going to kill them. Um, And so somehow that seems like a just...
0: And it, it uh, had killed other people too. Like they make it, like they find blood, and like he's clearly right, like a not, exactly. A,
1: and and what not I not applaud the person. writers as well as Clarissa is doing is they don't let them the characters off the hook, or they don't let Amos off the hook. I mean Clarissa to some extent as well, but like clearly Amos is the one that was fomenting this conflict. And there is a very brief shot when the survivalist is about to shoot him, where it looks like Amos is like all set to pounce, and then suddenly Clarissa goes in instead. Where it was clear that that. <laughs>
0: Oh, this brings up a plot issue yes. I have with that scene. Sorry, I'm just gonna. I'm gonna, yes. ju- I'm gonna jump in. What was Amos's plan? Like, <laughs> you know, I was sort of like, okay, he's thinking of something. He's got some idea about how he's gonna get the jump on this survivalist guy. But then after he strips down to his undies, which again, <laughs> appreciate, you no, know, for sure, it seems like there's. What was he going to do if Clarissa
1: didn't? So this didn't is jump where in? I, I th- I think I have two answers. The first is I think Amos actually thought that Clarissa would step in. I think Amos might have suspected oh. that Clarissa, you know, could could yeah. step in, and that in some ways by putting himself at risk, it would cause Clarissa to, you know, activate her mods and actually step in. The other possibility mm-hmm. is, frankly, that Amos would would be like Clarissa, but just not without mods. I mean, it, literally, his expression right before you see Clarissa come in is that of a caged animal, is that of, like, a cornered animal. It is clear that he is going to, at a minimum, try to close the distance and, and hopefully overpower this guy before he gets killed.
0: He hasn't committed right. ultraviolence in well, a while. Well, since the
1: first episode of the season. So. Oh, that, yeah. yeah but okay. That's what
0: I mean. Like, for Ramos. That's, that's Like... <laughs> that's <laughs> a very long time um and so he's probably got like adrenaline stored up or something you know sort of like who oh, mods it is probably the longest he's gone without punching somebody in a long time
1: yes. no no I'm no guessing. wait hold on he punched someone in the second episode too because he dealt with the uh, the drug dealer in baltimore remember right oh, but i right. I, 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 I have to right. say we, we've talked before um, about addiction i like the idea of there being an ultra violence <laughs> anonymous group in which you know amos has to go and say, <laughs> it's been a week since i punched someone you know or something like that yeah, that would be fascinating
0: yeah, I admit I'm powerless over ultraviolence. That would be a hard one for yes. him to for him to do. I think we've played out this. I, I our themes yes. are really closely related. Again, I do I do feel like this is the ultimate question of the expanse: is what do humans have control over? What mm-hmm. do they not have control over? How do right. we make our own destiny? And again, the argument underneath this all is that we can make the choice to do yes. the right thing. Constantly, we're being shown people given choices. And the implication is always, I mean, that's, right. if, that's what makes a show, right? Like we wouldn't like a show if, <laughs> if we, it
1: was like, no, do wrong <laughs> And the end, end but, scene. Yes, exactly. No, this is right.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, that's Breaking right. Bad was really good. I don't know.
1: Which means we have to move to our last uh, section, which is what we call the debris field. So any sort of stray thoughts uh, that we have about the show? The stray thought that I was going to ask you, Anna, was which we've referenced multiple times, is that West Chatham is in his undies in this episode. And I remember watching and thinking,
0: I don't mind talking <laughs> about it at length. We could just <laughs> we could just a lot about it if you really want to um, I don't mind that we've referenced it multiple times it's I, you know things have been really tough all over the television has been full of stuff that I don't want to watch yes. I don't want to see so you know a little eye candy like I'm all, I'm, all I'm I can grateful.
1: say is I want um, there to be an episode I, all I can say is I hope <laughs> in the season we can we can have a re- reciprocal thing where I can talk about Kara G for a little bit it's,
0: okay I mean she did she get did. a love, love yes, scene. Yes, that's true. Which which Amos will probably never get.
1: Well, wait I a mean, minute. There was that. There was that uh, love scene. Would not be the correct term, but there was that sex scene last season um, with the Onilis.
0: That's true. And also, we have him in yeah, a so. so you know yes. that that counts for something. All right. I, all right. I'll go with my little stray thought, which is is it just me or does Jim look completely out of place in every scene that he's in? I think intentionally, I think that's supposed yeah, to be intentional. Initially. Like even on the Rossi right. where he's the captain, like he seems like at a. it just doesn't, not, things aren't gelling for him. His expression, he's like trying to be, I said before, he does a terrible tough guy, not a tough guy trying to be a tough guy. Doesn't work for him. And he just seems like, and I think, again, I think it's intentional right, because exactly. his family's you, not there. You,
1: you talk about him being in command of the Rossi, but again, in some ways, it's this there are these two ways of thinking about it. The first is, is this a command structure or is it a family? And clearly, for for Holden, the Rossi is both a physical thing, but it's also a, a mental headspace. And the mental headspace doesn't exist unless Naomi and Amos and Alex are there. And, it, you know, it, we've seen that throughout this entire season for him uh, mm-hmm. from the moment Naomi you know, leaves to go find Philip. And I assume this is you know, this is probably not also easy for Steven Strait to do because the last two episodes has been <laughs> one in which he's kind of a peripheral character and it's sort of like, so when is he gonna go to the Zimeo? Like, you know, we we're 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 dealing with a couple episodes where they're trying to go get him. Like let let's just get to the cut to the chase as it were.
0: I kind of appreciate that he's been mm. sidelined though. Because he's the plot engine For most of the
1: series. That's a fair point,
0: yeah. Jim is the the, the primary actor, the prime actor in most of the series. It's the decisions that Jim makes that makes the whole plot go along, right? And that is not this season. Jim's decisions are not really important (laughs) right now. I mean he doesn't he doesn't get to have input on whether Naomi, you know, goes. he's He's, you know, uh, away from everyone else. Bull is kind of the mm-hmm. one in charge of this mission, you know, And I think he rather, um, you know, uh, with some self-awareness, is going to let right. Bull run the mission. Like, I believe Jim would be the first person to admit that military strategy That's is not his point. strong point. Speaking of military strategy, my last thing, again, Perhaps I am reading too much into this, but Marco's sending that black lipped lady who hates Naomi onto the drummership. Maybe not entirely good faith. What do you think? Like, well, maybe. Okay,
1: so that, her, her character's name escapes me. On the one hand, you're absolutely right.
0: Yeah, I had to go with black, like black. I mean, I think actually it's blue lips, which yeah, I do yeah. like. It's a good. It's but look really at it this
1: book. way: you're, you're right. I I do not like that character. She she is. I mean, I, I you know, it, it's clearly a a bad person. Um I guess I would hit back with you though with a different question, which was: Did Marco send her away because she was the one agitating to kill Naomi? No. No. Okay.
0: No, I think I think Marco. Actually, we I've thought of this when we were t- first talking about that scene. It's implied a little bit that Marco wasn't entirely serious about spacing. I was, yeah, I
1: wasn't certain you about know, that. That, yeah.
0: that at the end, it was like that the person's like, "Would you really have done that?" And he's like, "I I don't know. Remember, I don't remember what his it's reply it, is." He actually, says, "What do you think?" But he, he says he it in a tone that
1: it. I thought was ambiguous, to be honest. Right, where it could have gone either way, and I think yes. it was just sort of like a way of like. Letting her interpret that sentence however she wanted it to, um, but
0: right. And I think, but I think this shows another another strand of, of Marco unraveling, which is yes. he is impetuous, right? He is fickle. He probably meant right. it in the moment that he would, exactly. that you should face yes. Naomi, and then maybe would have changed his mind mm-hmm. like five minutes later. He's not a strategist. I mean, he pulled off the most you know significant murder of millions in all of human history. But that's different I, so I would I leader. would
1: disagree slightly. He is a strategist. I mean, you have to get... Uh, maybe there's a right. difference between strategist well, and wait. leadership. He's a strategist that's, that's for one round. He executed a brilliant plan. But as we said before, and indeed it's literally said in, in this episode, he thinks the game is over. And clearly there are... are the game doesn't end that's not how this works and that requires sustained leadership and your point is correct he is a charismatic leader but he's not necessarily a leader with any kind of of while he might have a long-term vision he doesn't have any actual plan to how to get from here to there
0: and and Dan we were not going to talk about current events
1: no so yeah no.
0: we won't i'm not sure why that came up for me in uh, impetuous leaders not having long-term plans just inciting violence for the sake of violence do
1: not mention current events anna this podcast takes place in a hermetically sealed international relations vacuum in which the real world does not penetrate the only thing listeners need to know about current events is they can catch up with us on our patreon page or tweet at us at at underscore space the nation
0: so, if anything, like this podcast is not where people should go for our opinions on current events, because you and I do have many, <laughs> many, 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 many opinions, and, and on many current outlets
1: events, to and express, we express those them opinions. Yes, regularly.
0: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I have a podcast. You've got a column. I write I columns. Write books, yes. You know, you're on TV. I'm occasionally on TV. You have books. So this is like the one place that we don't really express a ton mm-hmm. of opinions on current events. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So don't come here for that. Go other places. I am at Anna Marie Cox. You are.
1: I am at Dan Dresner. We both have a lot of things to say about poli-sci, but please keep on listening because this is where we talk about sci-fi.